are uh, on our way to Jerusalem, and uh, we're getting closer and closer to to, um, to Palm Sunday. And so this is a, a pretty important... I'm still getting feedback up here. Okay. A little, that's okay. Just turn it down just a little bit. All right? That's better. This one doesn't work. No, no. We think a mouse got to it. That's our theory. All right. Listen to the word of God as we come to the 18th chapter of Luke's gospel. People were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they sternly ordered them not to do it. But Jesus called for them and said, let the children come to me and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter in. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He replied, I've kept all these since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, there's still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? He replied, what is impossible for others, for humans, is possible for God. Then Peter said, look, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I tell you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not get back very much more in the age, in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you, the living word. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Saying no to Jesus. I couldn't help but think of that line from Godfather I'm going to make an offer he can't refuse. <laughs> um, but it's an offer that we often refuse. Think of someone in your life you can never say no to. For me, it was little kids selling stuff at my door. <laughs> Particularly having all boys. If it was a little girl selling something, it didn't, I was, I, even if, it didn't matter if I needed it or not. I was probably going to buy it. Now, who was someone in your life you better not say no to? The IRS, I'm working on my taxes, right? Well, I'm not working on my taxes. Someone who knows what they're doing is working on my taxes, right? A wise man once said to me, never say no to the IRS. <laughs> now, my dad was a big guy, and he was theoretically terrifying, 
but my mom was terrifying in real time. <laughs> um, actually, about 10 years ago, I, I uh, was the vice president of, a, of an urban nonprofit, uh, faith-based nonprofit for a couple of years, and we did an after-school program in a very bad community, very tough community. And um, all the rules that apply for non, you know, and suburbs don't apply in the, uh, in the city. And, and it was, there was a middle of a gang war going on. And these two little girls needed a ride home. And their mother was working and their grandmother couldn't drive. So I wasn't going to leave these two little kids on the street waiting for someone to come get them. So I'm taking them home. And, and Shania uh, spent a lot of time with me because she was always in trouble. And so if you were in trouble, you ended up in, in, in Mr. Bill's office, all right? And Shania was in third grade, and she was, she was funny, and, and she would almost always start, we had all these conversations, and they always start, Mr. Bill, Mr. Bill, now I don't want to offend you. <laughs> so apparently Shania has offended a lot of people in her life, because she knew that phrase, all right? <laughs> so I'm driving them home, and she goes, Mr. Bill, can I ask you a question? Of course you can. Now I don't want to offend you, Mr. Bill, that's okay. But then she goes, were you raised black or were you raised white? And I, um, I said, well, I don't quite understand your question, Shania. And she goes, well, let, let me tell you this. Like, when, like, did your mommy, did she like make you pretty things and have music playing and make you cookies and milk? Or did your mama beat you? And I said, well, I guess if those are my two options, I guess my mama kind of beat me when I was in trouble. She goes, good, you were raised like me. <laughs> she said, I made her connection, right? Uh, but my mom was someone, particularly as a young kid, I didn't, I didn't say no to her very often because there were penalties for that. Um, you know, ironically, we can think of all kinds of people we can't say no to, or you better not say no to. But saying no to God is really easy. It's remarkably easy. It's so easy we do it every day without even thinking about it, right? And sometimes it takes years even to recognize the implications of saying no to God. Matter of fact, probably most people live their entire lives without realizing the cost of either implicitly or explicitly saying no to God. Now, how do we do this? How do we say no to God? Well, Putin, for instance, bombing civilians and kidnapping children, that's, that's a pretty big no to God. Using chemical weapons against your citizens, painting swastikas on synagogues, turning away political refugees from countries who, because of our drug habits in this country, their governments are destabilized and children die in a crossfire of gang warfare. Yeah, but on a more personal level, we say no to God by ignoring our spiritual life or relegating, or relegating spirituality to the margins of our life. We say no to God by treating vulnerable people around us with contempt. And probably the most dangerous way to say no to God are the religious ones. Because... That's why religious sins are sins of pride. They're always more serious because we think we're right. We think we're working for God. For instance, the disciples. Why did the disciples keep kids away from Jesus? 
Now they thought they were protecting Jesus. There's some really important things we're trying to do here. We don't need these stinky little kids in the way. We're doing God's work here. We're trying to change the world. These kids are clogging up the works a bit. But it turns out that they were saying no to Jesus. And this will not be the last time his disciples are going to say no to him in the next coming weeks. So a rich young ruler comes along who's very interested in God. And in many ways, he's asking Jesus, how do I say yes to God? How do I inherit eternal life? Probably, probably originally said, how do I share in a portion of the life to come? That would have been the Jewish way of, of asking that question in the first century. So he's really interested. He's very serious. And I think secretly the disciples are thrilled. We need this guy in the movement. And they're excited. And they're even saying, you know, this is why we had to keep those kids away from Jesus. If Jesus would just listen to us, if Jesus would just do what us Christians say he should be doing, it would be so much easier and better. Right? And so Jesus kind of disarms him from the beginning. <laughs> he goes, why do you call me good? And again, I won't get into the theology of that. I think Jesus is purposely throwing him off already. Because the guy is an earnest young man. Matter of fact, in Mark's gospel, Mark's the original version of this story, it says that Jesus looked on him and loved him. And that's really important. This guy is an earnest follower of God. And so Jesus lists the second table of the Ten Commandments. All the commandments that have to do with how you're to treat each other. The love of neighbor. And he says, I've fulfilled all of those. Now, at this point, the disciples, I think, are now nervous because they're saying, this guy's better than all of us. Matter of fact, poor Matthew, the tax collector, is probably packing his bags. He said, I'm getting fired, right? <laughs> Jesus is going to fire one of us to bring this guy in. Matter of fact, we've, yeah, we're already putting this guy on the elder board, right? Churches. Jesus is one thing you lack. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And it says explicitly in Mark's gospel that he walked away sadly because he had great wealth. Now, there is a long history of creative interpretation about this passage. Matter of fact, ministers and preachers and theologians have done Hermeneutic gymnastics with this text. But again, you know what I think Jesus means when he says uh, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter to the kingdom of God? You know what I think Jesus means there? 
I think Jesus means how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. I think he kind of means what he's saying. Now, unless you start justifying yourself because your bank account may not be what it should be or you hope it would be, you can be wealthy in a lot of different ways. You can be wealth in intelligence. You can be wealth in talent. You can be wealth in status, beauty, power. And the trouble with this is that when, you're, when you have stuff or you have power, if you have influence, if you have charm, you don't need to pray. You're under the illusion that I can handle this. And, and it's okay, like for instance, you know, if you, have, <laughs> if you have the means to take care of a problem, it's okay to use your intelligence or use your wealth, right? To, to, that's part of what God gives you, your, your intelligence, your wealth, your talent. But the trouble is, is that we tend to think we're okay. We tend to neglect our sense of dependency. We forget that we're children. Just like Gabe so beautifully said, we're all kind of adult, we're all like toddlers in relationship to God. Self-sufficiency is not a spiritual virtue. And we live in an age where people are very wealthy in their sense of self. <laughs> that I'm right, I'm entitled, I have my truth. Well, the trouble with that is that you don't need God. Do you notice which parts of the commandments that Jesus left out when he was talking to the young man? Which commandments did he leave out? The ones about God. You should have no other gods before you. And it's hard. It's hard not to rely on your own wits when you're used to getting things right. It's hard not to rely on your own power when you're used to making things happen. It's easy to forget that you need your daily bread when you can write a check for it, right? But all that stuff is transitory. All that stuff can go away in a New York minute. Now, it can seem like this story is a story of failure, right? Because the rich young ruler is going to come and follow Jesus, right? Or he's going to, you know, he comes thinking and he walks away sadly, right? But it's not, a, I think it, it is a, there's a redemptive way to look at this story. The rich young ruler thought he was close to the kingdom of God. He thought he was almost there, right? And he walks away convicted. The journey of Lent is not so much saying, I'm okay, you're okay. <laughs> right. The journey of Lent is, I'm not doing so hot and you're not that good either. Right. 
The journey of Lent is I need the mercy of God. We all need the mercy of God. Now, this story, we, we walk away from this story. Everybody going, well, this guy, he's, he's morally good. He follows the Torah. He, God has obviously blessed him because look how wealthy he is. And then if he's not in, who gets in? And I think Jesus kind of smiles. He says, well, with mortals, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And next week, uh, we'll, we'll see that impossible possibility happen. But I want to leave you with the story of, of St. Columbo, uh, who is the patron saint of Scotland, uh, part of that second, third generation of Irish converts after Patrick. And he, was, he came from a, a royal family, uh, had the best education of probably you could have in the West at that time. Uh, he was a charismatic figure. He was strong. Uh, it, people tell stories. He was a um, dominating figure. He was, he was big and muscular and, and brilliant and charismatic. And he got it into some real trouble. There's a couple of different stories. But in the name of practicing his faith, he ended up causing, in essence, a gang war. <laughs> it would be a tribal war. But people died because of him thinking he was right about a couple religious issues. And he was devastated. He thought he was saying yes to God and his actions, and it turns out his pride ended up in bloodshed. So there's a couple different stories. One story, he was kicked out of Ireland. The other story is that he, as his penance, he left Ireland. Probably both of them are kind of true. And he went to the island of Iona. That's where the Iona colony was started. And it was in his doing penance for saying no to God that he was able to say yes and became a, a powerful force of spreading Christianity around. And I, he, there's a prayer that's attributed to him that I wanna, I wanna close, because I think this is what it means to say yes. Be a bright flame before me, O God, a guiding star above me. Be a smooth path before me, a kindly shepherd behind me, today, tonight, and forever. Alone with none but you, my God, I journey on my way. What need I fear when you are near, O Lord of night and day? More secure am I within your hand than if a multitude did around me stand. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. I invite you to stand and we continue our profession of faith from the breastplate of St. Patrick. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, 
God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils, from temptation of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill, afar and near. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through the confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. You may be seated. I invite you to continue our worship by giving to God our gifts, our times, and our offerings. 